had the opportunity to meet. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Hope Covenant. And, and this is indeed the third weekend in Advent. And for those of you who have bad memories, or maybe this is your first Sunday since November, Advent is, in the Christian calendar, a time of waiting. And it's a period of time when we're standing on our tippy toes, straining, waiting for, and looking forward to the joy of God, a magnificent entrance into the world on Christmas Day. And just by a quick show of hands, who's excited for Christmas Day? A lot of you, right? Well, what would you say if right before your day of family and presents and music and food and eggnog, something major happened that totally threw a wrench in your plans? Well, that's where we're headed with the message today. I'm going to start with a section of the Christmas story located in the Bible in the first chapter of Matthew, starting with verse 18. And this is what Matthew says. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. So Joseph and Mary, it seems, had it all worked out. The course was set, the plans were fixed, and everything was right on schedule. These two, you see, were engaged to be married. And back then, that meant that a legal and binding document had already been signed. We think of engagement today as a verbal agreement that could be easily broken, but it was a whole different ballgame back then. In the ancient world, a Jewish fiancé couldn't just get cold feet and give back the ring. In fact, an engagement in ancient Jewish culture meant that uh, a, a marriage could only be broken, an engagement could only be broken by death or divorce. And what's more, if a woman's fiancé died before they were married, she would be referred to from that time on as a virgin who was a widow. So when we first meet Mary and Joseph in the gospel story, they are essentially already married. So why are we told that Mary is a virgin? Well, back then, when a couple got engaged, they would enter into a one-year period of betrothal. This was a time set aside for the couple to become known as belonging to each other. And until that year was over, they would not live together or have sexual relations. It was only at the end of that year that the woman, who was typically around 13 or 14 years old, would leave her father and finally go live with her new husband. At that time, a public wedding would be held, and as a part of the ceremony, the wedding guest would lead the couple into their bridal chamber. And while the crowd would literally wait outside, the couple would go inside and consummate the marriage. Then they would come out and the party would begin. 
talk about pressure. And by the way, I don't know about you, but my wedding reception looked nothing like that. But back then, that was the plan. And everything was a going according to plan. Mary and Joseph, it seems, had it all worked out. And before we go any further, let me ask a question. And it's a question that I'm going to come back to a little, in a little bit. But what are your plans? What do you have worked out for the rest of your life? You know, you don't have to be engaged to have plans. When you think about the next year, the next 10 years, the next 30 years, what kind of course do you have mapped out? And are those your plans? Are they somebody else's plans? Are they God's plans? And what if God has in mind a different direction for your life? Have you ever thought about that? Are you open to changing directions? Because God, you know, is actually quite famous for breaking into our lives and changing our best laid plans. Case in point, during their, during their year of betrothal, their year of planning their life together as husband and wife, God sends Mary and Joseph a whole new set of plans. It all started when Mary got an unexpected visit from an angel. In chapter 1 of Luke's gospel, he gives us the details of this event. The text says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who is said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said, these remarkable words. It's one of the most powerful statements in Scripture. She said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. There we read that a heavenly messenger came one day to tell Mary that she was favored by God. And because of that, God wanted to do something extraordinary through her. Specifically, she is told that she's going to have a child, a baby boy to be exact. And this child, the angel says, will be different, very different from all the other kids in school. He will, in fact, be the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He will one day forever rule as king over God's people. The angel even tells Mary that his name is already picked out. She will name him Jesus, or Joshua in the Hebrew, as pronounced Yeshua a name that literally means the Lord saves. 
You know, while we were awaiting the birth of our first child, Amber and I decided to have the doctor tell us whether we're going to have a girl or a boy. Through the wonders of modern medicine, you can find all sorts of stuff about your unborn kid. When we were told it was a boy, I remember feeling instantly weighed down by that knowledge. You see, when the child was an it, I was able to remain somewhat disconnected. But now, it was a he. And that meant that I was going to have to figure out how to be the father of a little boy. I was going to have to teach him all about sports and chivalry and following Jesus. There would be future confrontations over driving lessons and clingy girlfriends. And I imagined myself one day having to give the toast at his wedding. How would I say something meaningful without crying like a baby? I know, right? Aiden hadn't even taken his first breath yet, and I was already freaking out. Think about all that Mary learns from her divine ultrasound and how that knowledge must have weighed heavy on her. What could it all mean? What in the world would it be like to try to raise the Messiah, the Son of God? How could she, a mere peasant girl, train up the one who would be the ruler of the world for all eternity? With all the questions that Mary could have asked the angel, we're told that the one question she does ask is intensely practical. How can this be since I am a virgin? By the way, I was talking to my friend Joel, who's a youth pastor in Florida, and we were talking the other day about this message, and he said the word virgin in the Greek today means exactly the same thing as it did back then. And Mary wants to know, how can I conceive a child if I've never been with a man? And when he came to making babies, Mary had obviously seen the instruction manual. I mean, she knew how things worked. And in response, the angel tells her that God's power will come over her, and God's spirit will conceive within her a child. And this child will be born of the flesh, but will also be born of God. This coming king will be fully human and fully divine. And this incarnation is, of course, a mystery that we're no closer to understanding today than Mary was when it was happening back then. Mary was, um, and, and yet, upon hearing this angel's bizarre answer to her question, Mary responds with this extraordinary statement. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me according to your word. Now remember, Mary had it all worked out. Everything was going right on schedule. She was set to marry a good Jewish boy, start a family, support her husband, raise her kids, worship her God, and make the best of the life that she'd been given. But then, God breaks in with the whole new set of wild plans. And Mary's response is, Lord, I don't understand these plans of yours, but I trust you. And so I will make your plans my plans. Have you ever said those words in your life? Is it possible those are the words God wants to hear you say today? Lord, I don't fully understand these plans of yours, but I trust you. And so I will make your plans my plans. The person who says those words and means those words, is a person who has faith. And to be honest, that person is also somebody who's likely to see their life get messy. In Mary's case, as soon as those words are out of her mouth, things immediately got messy. In fact, I bet the angel hadn't been gone two minutes before it hit her. How in the world am I going to explain all of this to Joseph? Now, if you're a guy 
Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Your fiance sits you down one day, only weeks before the wedding, with some big news. She says, honey, I got to tell you something. I found out today that I'm actually pregnant. Now, don't freak out. The baby's not yours. Since we haven't, uh, you know, it couldn't possibly be yours. We both know that, but you have to believe me. I haven't slept with anybody either. And this is, uh, this is God's baby, okay? God's the one that got me pregnant. I mean, don't get me wrong. I went along with it, but I have not been unfaithful to you. I really haven't. Yes, I'm pregnant, but this is God's child inside me. Guys, raise your hand if you would buy that story. Exactly. <laughs> and that's why Mary, it seems, didn't even attempt to explain any of this to Joseph. The way Matthew puts it here, Joseph is just left to figure things out on his own, which was bound to happen sooner or later. I mean, you can only hide these things for so long. But when he finds out, we're told that Joseph also did something extraordinary. Since he was a righteous man, there was, of course, no way that he could go through with the wedding. He wasn't about to be united to a woman who, in his mind, had clearly violated God's holy laws of sexuality and marriage. It was his right, in fact, to make Mary pay for the humiliation that she had caused him. You see, according to the law in Deuteronomy, an adulteress in those days would have been taken to a public place. Her clothes would have been torn, her hair would have been taken down. She would have been stripped of her jewelry and then left there to be a public disgrace for people to pass by, shaking their heads. And then for the rest of her life, she would have been forced to live as a woman with shame and scorn. This was what Mary had coming to her. But since Joseph was not only a righteous man, but also a man of compassion and decency, he instead decided to divorce Mary quietly. That wouldn't necessarily make things easier on him. I mean, people would still talk behind his back. His reputation would be permanently damaged. Still, that was his plan. That's what he had worked out. In his mind, this was the best way forward. But then, the one who was world famous for changing people's plans visits Joseph in a dream and gives him some shocking news. Joseph, son of David, God says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What she told you is the truth. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In Joseph's dream, he learns a great deal. But notice, before God tells Joseph what to do, God reminds Joseph who he is. You are a son of David, he tells him. You are one of my people. And not just that, you are from the royal line, the line from which one day the Messiah will come. And because that is true, though you think you're just a peasant carpenter with modest plans, I've got in mind something much bigger for you. And then God goes on to confirm Mary's story, pointing out to Joseph that none of this should come as a surprise since the prophet Isaiah had laid these plans out 700 years before. Isaiah 7.14 reads this, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We're told that when Joseph awoke from his dream that night, 
the very first thing he does without hesitation is change his plans. He must have had so many questions, so many doubts. And yet, Joseph trusts God's word to him and acts upon it in obedience. He goes through with the wedding. He takes Mary as his wife. And later that year, in a lowly stable in Bethlehem, he and Mary give their firstborn son the name Jesus. The Lord saves. You see, Mary and Joseph said, Lord, I don't fully understand these plans of yours. I don't get this mysterious pregnancy. I have no idea how you expect me to be parents of the Messiah and the future king of the world. But we trust you. And so we'll make your plans our plans. After the birth of their son, God sent confirmation to this faithful couple. Shepherds, we know, visited Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem and brought news that they too had received this strange set of plans from heaven. And not long after, wise men showed up with similar news. And we're told that Mary, in particular, treasured these things in her heart. These visitors must have given them both some hope and encouragement to continue to trust God. But still, how hard it must have been for this couple to trust. And I remember the first time I got to hold our son, Aiden. Actually, it was almost 15 years ago today. And he was this delicate, eight-pound little person who I could easily hold with one arm. My entire hand wrapped around his tiny little head. And I remember the overwhelming thought that I had in that moment was sure that um, many of you here as parents have shared. How is this helpless little creature ever going to survive in this world? I was so worried he would break. He was so tiny, so helpless. And the drive home from the hospital later that week, which normally took 20 minutes, took three times that long. I took all the back roads. I had both hands on the wheel at 10 and 2, driving 15 miles an hour with my emergency flashes on the whole way home. And that first time that Mary and Joseph held the tiny body of their son in their hands, they must have wondered the same thing. The Son of God? The eternal King of the world? The Savior of all people? He's helpless. He can't see, he can't talk, he can't walk, he pees all over himself. This one's going to save the world? From where they sat in the manger, God's plans must have seemed ridiculous. And in the days to come, things didn't exactly shift into sharp focus. The very next part of the story tells us that Mary and Joseph are forced to flee from Bethlehem to Egypt because Herod, the jealous and wicked ruler of Judea, had gotten wind that a future king had been born. So Herod sends his troops to Bethlehem to kill the child. Again, Mary and Joseph must have been thinking, this is God's plan to save the world? And then somewhere along the way, we know that Joseph dies. Before Jesus announces that the kingdom of God is at hand, before Jesus performs his first miracle, before he recruits his first disciple, Joseph is gone. He's dead before he even gets a glimpse of what God told him would one day come to pass. And even though Mary lives to see Jesus' public ministry, we know that she, like many others, had serious reservations about the way that her son's life was turning out. You may remember from Mark chapter 3, verse 21, that Mary became so concerned with Jesus' behavior that she considered him to be out of his mind. 
and she went with others in her family to have an intervention to try and rescue him by force if necessary. And then the cross. This beloved son of hers, this one who was filled with so much promise, is executed. He dies the death of a despised criminal. And to her credit, Mary is one of the very few people who actually stays there at the foot of the cross. Most of Jesus' followers abandon him, but not Mary. Her dreams are shattered, but this is, after all, still her son, her baby boy. I'm told, and I believe it, that there's no greater pain in the world than the pain of a mother watching her child die. And that day at the cross, Mary's heart was torn out. That same heart that had years before treasured God's promise that somehow this mysterious son of hers was destined for greatness. But now he would die in scorn and in agony. When Mary accepted God's change of plans all those years before, this could not have been where she imagined those plans would lead. The death itself was painful enough. How much more painful it must have been to remember that God had promised, or so she thought, that things were going to end well. Unfortunately, because we've read ahead, things do end well. We know, because we've seen beyond the cross, that God's plans were more wonderful than even Mary could have imagined or designed herself. However, before I go any further, let me return to that question that I asked you earlier. It's the question, what are your plans? Would you be willing to think about this with me for a minute? Whether you're 15 years old or 85 years old, what do you have planned this coming year, these next 10 years, the rest of your life? And are those your plans? Are they somebody else's plans? Or are they God's plans? And is there a chance that God, who is world famous for this sort of thing, might be trying to break into your life right now and offer you a whole new set of plans? A lot of people I know have pretty much the same plans. Finish school, find work they enjoy, maybe pays well, that maybe gives them some time off so they can have some fun. Have a family, stay healthy, stay safe, and then someday retire comfortably. That's pretty much the extent of the plans of a lot of people that you and I know. And maybe that's you. Maybe it isn't. Either way, is it possible that God is, even now, silently and subtly nudging you to think about a change of plans? In some area of your life, maybe with your whole life, Is it possible that God is saying to you today, like he said to Mary and Joseph many years ago, I know you think you got it all worked out, but I want you to consider a new direction. Would you consider giving up your plans for your life in exchange for my plans for your life? Only you know what what plans God has been trying to get you to consider. Maybe you're supposed to do something entirely different with your life. Maybe you're supposed to give something away or let something go or take someone in or fix something or some relationship that's been broken for far too long. Maybe God wants you to walk away from some destructive behavior 
or silence some paralyzing fear that's been holding you back. Perhaps there's some injustice in this world that which you're supposed to be fighting against. Or some poverty in this community that you're supposed to work to erase. What change of plans has God been whispering in your ear lately? Are you even paying attention long enough to hear the, God, the plans that God is proposing? And if you can figure that out, here's the thing. Do you know what God does with ordinary people like Mary and Joseph? Ordinary people like you and me who exchange their plans for his plans? And when that happens... God is famous for taking the ordinary and doing with it something extraordinary. It's what he does. It's what he's always done. And it's what he's doing today. What if you said to God today, I don't fully understand your plans. I got a lot of questions. I've got my share of doubts. And honestly, your plans, Lord, seem more difficult than I'd like. But yet... Yet, I trust you. And so, yes, I will exchange my plans for your plans. You know what? When we say that to God, we begin an extraordinary journey in life. A journey in which God works in us. Like God worked in Mary and Joseph to bring salvation and transformation to this world in ways that could have never been mapped out if we would have stuck to our original plans. And I need to be clear here. When we make a decision to follow God's plans, that doesn't mean that the journey just got easier. In fact, usually the opposite is true. That was the case with Mary and Joseph. That was the case with Jesus' disciples. In fact, try to name one person in the whole Bible who accepted God's change of plans and then found that life just got easier. I dare you, name one. And also, in the same respect, name me a single person in Scripture or find me a single person alive today who accepted God's change of plans for their life, stuck to those plans, and who, in the end, regretted doing so. I dare you, name just one. Even Mary, after all she went through, presumably ended her life without regret. Three days after she watched her son die on the cross, Mary was there with the rest of the disciples when Jesus, her son, and now her Lord and Savior, reappeared to them as good as new. And if there's no pain in the world like the pain of a mother watching her child die, then there also must be no joy in the world like the joy of a mother who realizes that her son, once thought dead, is alive after all. And add to that the joy of a woman who now realizes that through this son of hers, born all those years ago in Bethlehem, the gifts of salvation and grace and peace and hope and justice and eternal life have now come to all who trust him. And you think at that point, this is a woman who wants her old set of plans back? Not a chance. Whatever they are. Only you know the plans that God is whispering to your heart this morning. He certainly hasn't shared his plans for you with me. 
right? Nonetheless, God has extraordinary plans for your life. Not easy plans, but extraordinary plans. And God is asking you, do you see what I see? And my prayer for you is the same prayer that I have for myself. That each of us, like Joseph and like Mary, would say in response, Lord, I don't fully understand these plans that you've put in front of me, but I trust you. And so with your help, I will make your plans my plans. Let's pray. Oh God, at especially this time of year, we tend to live our lives in a way where we hurry and scurry about, pursuing the plans that we lay in place and ignoring and avoiding the plans that you are inviting us to accept. And there's a magnificent journey that is waiting for us. And to be sure, it will be filled with twists and turns and treacherous terrain. But there will also be unspeakable joy in the everyday moments of our lives that make the journey totally worth it. So this day, this Christmas, as we wait for the birth of our Lord and Savior, help us to look to you and seek your will, your way, your plans, the kind of life you're inviting us to experience. And then, in complete trust, say to you, I will make your plans my plans. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.